On August 16, 2022, President Joe Biden signed into law the Inflation Reduction Act. The bill entails provisions on climate change and energy investments, prescription drug price reform, Affordable Care Act extensions, an infusion of cash to the IRS, and the creation of new corporate tax rates. But what impact, if any, will it have on inflation? We give you that answer in this episode of the Financially Sharp Podcast, episode 26. Welcome to the F-Sharp Podcast, presented by Harmony Wealth, a podcast geared to educate you on all things financial. Co-hosts Tanner Bortnam and Adam Henning discuss various financial topics presented in a consumable and entertaining manner. Tanner is a certified financial planner, JD, and financial expert, while Adam is a marketing professional and small business owner. It's time to harmonize. Sit back and enjoy the episode. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to episode 26 of the Financially Sharp podcast presented by Harmony Wealth, a podcast geared towards making you more financially literate. I'm Adam Henning, marketing professional and small business owner, and I'm joined as always with co-host, certified financial planner, JD, wealth manager, and industry expert, Tanner Bortnam. This is episode 26. Happy one-year anniversary of this wonderful podcast, Tanner. Do you have any noisemakers or balloons or confetti. I don't. Yeah, that's all I got. It's the woot woot. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> yep. Maybe you could uh, insert some cheers or something like that uh, in the background yes. when you when you edit this one. Right on. It's my son's birthday two days, well, four days ago, and then my birthday yeah, in a week. That's so right. So just cramming that There's in lots there. Lots of birthdays. Podcast woot, is now woot. one. Yeah. Been a good year. Been a good year. Hopefully got a lot of uh, you know, good info out to people and hopefully you know, our listeners are finding that valuable and we'll continue to, you know, keep cranking out info and, and things as, as we can every couple weeks. And when things come up, we'll, you know, make sure we chat about them like tonight's topic. But prior to that, let's hear about, I got to make sure I say it correctly, Ragnar and your yearly, uh, I hate myself, <laughs> <laughs> uh, weekend where you punish yourself and run miles and miles in the dark. Well, I have come up with a new new term for I hate myself. It's we're we're mentally ill. That's what okay, I say. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the second year of running. Um it's a lot different this year. The weather was amazing. Um yeah, didn't you get rained on last year? Yeah, last year was like 94, like uh, 100% humidity for my first leg. Um, and then my second leg, I got dumped on, completely poured on for nine miles, 10 miles. And then the, the third leg was hot again. So this leg or this year was amazing for weather. I think our first couple guys got wet. Um, but as a whole, we ran 57 minutes faster. And wow. uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think everybody was just excited and ran naturally ran faster because it's easier to run when it's right nicer nice weather. Out. So well and you guys probably yeah. sure trained better, you know, or smarter throughout this year than the previous and yeah, didn't the you anxiety and, and do a fear PR? were gone. Oh yeah, yeah. This year was a lot faster. Um right. last year I think I ran like a cumulative of like eight 30 something over 21 miles and this year i was like 724 wow so yeah i'm getting faster well congrats More mentally ill yeah Yay! congrats no that uh that's really cool i never have any plans of joining you uh in that mentally ill bucket <laughs> but i'm glad that you know that's obviously something you're passionate about and doing really well at so that's cool Anything physical, I think dedication and discipline are my my two D's. Mm-hmm. Um, I just it's something you can do when you're older and on your own. So yep. I'm not a big lifter, so 
don't know. Just found something. I don't like it. I, <laughs> I, I, I guess. We I, must I like, like it, it enough. Yeah. Enough. It gives me mental clarity. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, mine is golf, I would say, that I'll do you know, the rest of my life and you can do when you get older, but I wouldn't say that it's strenuous. I probably need to find something else that, you know, can get the blood flowing a little bit better and, and help, um, you know, fight off all those issues that everyone seems to get as they get older, but I'm with you. It's not the most fun, but oh, well, you like John Daly, where you have 13 Diet Cokes and nine packages of M&M's and 18 <laughs> holes and a few I, cigarettes, a few long darts? Yeah, I don't think that's probably too healthy, but hey, you know, to each their own. He's got mental clarity. That's right. All right. Today's topic, episode 26, the infl- inf- inflammation. <laughs> Running's on my mind. The Inflation Reduction Act was signed into law on Tuesday, August 16, 2022. The 755-page bill contains $750 billion in spending and, according to the White House, will lower costs for families, combat the climate crisis, reduce the deficit, and finally ask the largest corporations to pay their fair share. Fair share. So... Given that statement and giving the topic of this episode, we're going to dive into the main provisions of this bill, um, see for ourselves if it's true or um, empty promises. And <laughs> I will say the lead off with just the, the research that I did. Not quite sure why they titled it the way that it is, but that's what we'll, t- <laughs> that's what we'll talk about. Yeah, yeah that's uh, on the docket to talk about, but... Uh, you know, first, I just want to kind of, you know, being an attorney, we always like to have lots of disclaimers. Uh, and so I'm going to have one for for this podcast. Uh, you know, I have clients that are on both sides of the aisle. This episode is not meant to um, persuade anyone, you know, pro-Republican or pro-Democrat or try to move the needle on anything. We're really just going to try to, you know, discuss what the provisions are, discuss you know, what could be the good things from them, what could be the bad things that come out of them, um, you know, provide that data and then let, you know, you as the listener make your decision for yourself, uh, whether you like some of it, none of it, all of it, um, and, and you know, kind of make that, that decision for yourself. But when we are talking about bills that were passed and some of the provisions that are inside of this bill, we will have to tiptoe slightly into the political realm, which I hate. I try to avoid like the plague, um, but we'll have to do that you know, just a little bit, um, but we'll try to keep it obviously as neutral as we can. Um, we're just talking about the facts and you know what's going on and what you can expect out of it. And then the other thing to keep in mind too, as you listen to this, um, you know, when this pod or when this episode comes out, the bill will have been signed for a week and a half, maybe. Um, you know, so there's going to become more clarity as well as time goes on. But we didn't want to wait on this and you know do it two, three months from now when it's old news. We wanted to get this out to to you as a listener um, so that you're armed with more information um, and and can kind of go from there. Uh, so, with that disclaimer being said, now diving into the political world of all of this. Uh, Adam, have you seen, uh, the old show? Whose line is it anyway? One of my favorites growing up. I know it's such a good show. I really wish that they, uh, you know, still were around, but for those that don't know, uh, it was hosted by Drew Carey and there's four comedians that were on it and it was just an impromptu, um, comedy show basically. And they kind of played different games and, but the, the comedians had to come up with things on the spot. Uh, scenes out of the hat. Yeah. Best one. Yep. Uh, or the songs. The songs were pretty That's cool. Yeah. Yep. Um, but anyways, when I was doing my research for this bill and what goes into it, things for clients, uh, it really, that show really resonated with me because Drew Carey always starts the show off with, welcome to Whose Line Is It Anyway, where everything is made up and the points don't matter. 
And when I was reading through, you know, a lot of this bill, um, and, and again, I have not read all 755 pages, but when I was doing my research on it, um, that really kind of, kind of hit me because any of these big bills, you know, especially when we get into these, we're going to give you the numbers that they gave us from Congress, but it's kind of funny money and it's, you know, very easy for them to skew and manipulate numbers, um, and so we'll get into that in more detail, but just, just kind of remember that, that this isn't like you're going to a, a business that has generally accepted accounting principles and everyone does everything the same way. This is going to be the government and they create their own rules and guidelines every time that they create a new bill to make it sound more favorable to, you know, whichever party is passing it. It's, you know, this one was the Democrats. Um, the Tax and Job Cuts Act of, of 2018, that was the Republicans, same thing. They use the same tactics. It's, it's not one party that does this. Both of them do it. Um, but we'll kind of get into that, uh, you know, a little bit more when we start talking about each of the, the parts or the major parts of this. And because uh, there's, some, there's some oddities when you kind of start trying to add things up to this. So, um, yeah, so with those kind of two things out of the way. Let's just kind of kick it off. Um, you know, the, the bill's name in and of itself, uh, Adam, any, any thoughts? You kind of tease that one out. Yeah. And as one that I'm not going to pretend that I keep up with the pulse of politics or political commentary and all this stuff as much as probably you do. But, um, so, you know, you hear, hear this in the news and, Okay, let's it pass. Let's dive into it. Inflation Reduction Act probably going to have some basic curbing of of interest rates or uh, some kind of um, factors or, or concepts as we we've talked in pre- previous episodes. And as I'm reading it, <laughs> I'm texting you and going, "All I'm reading is some things about healthcare, energy savings, and what's the other um, main thing." Um, Help me out here. Uh, the IRS spending. Oh, the IRS spending. Yep. And I'm like, so where, what point exactly is this going to help with inflation reduction? Why, why <laughs> did they name it that? Right. And I think your guess is as good as anyone's. Um, so it did is. Did they just rename it? I mean, was that the Build Back Better plan? Was that. Yeah. I mean, and this it failed is and they just had to rename it, remarket yeah. it? Yep. Yep. Basically. Um, if you think back uh, to Build Back Better, you know, they were really trying to push that last fall, uh, you know, or last year, really all year. Um, and that had two components. It had an infrastructure bill um, and it had, you know, kind of this side of things, uh, an energy, green energy uh, side as well. And the Build Back Better, you know, started at five trillion and then it was 3.2 trillion and, you know, whatever. And it got whittled down and and they've passed the first side of it with you know joint uh, Republicans and Democrats for the infrastructure side earlier this year. It was 1.2 trillion right. or something like that that went yeah. through on that. And this is now kind of that other prong. And you know it's the, uh, I mean it Social really side. in my mind it should be the energy. You know it should be something like Renewable Energy Act or, or something because that's the main aspect of this. Why they called it inflation reduction. My guess is uh, we have an election coming up and inflation is on the top of everyone's mind and they, you know, that's a, a hot topic. And so if we can, for lack of a better term, just pretend that this actually addresses inflation uh, and get some people to believe that because they didn't do any more research on it, then, uh, you know, maybe they, they get some votes for that. I, I don't really know because really in here uh, when you start looking at all the pieces of this if it helps inflation it is going to be very negligible so let's kind of just dive into that part you know will this actually reduce inflation like the name states and you know this bill is um, over a 10-year period is the time frame that they're looking at all of all of these moving or most, I should say, most of the moving pieces inside this bill are over a 10-year period, and, and helping reduce inflation is one of those. Um, you know, f- 
but a couple of nonpartisan groups, uh, Penn Wharton School of Business, it's one of the top business schools in the country. They stated they have a low confidence that the legislation will have any impact on inflation. The Congressional Budget Office, sometimes people have heard of that, the CBO, also a nonpartisan um, group. They said the bill will barely make a dent on inflation, if at all, and it could even nudge inflation upward. Um, so, again, sounds like best case scenario. There might be just a tiny, tiny bit of inflation, but if uh, or inflation help. Um, but if we see that, it's going to be down the road. Um, you know, three, four, five, six, eight, nine years from now, it may have an impact. And actually. You know, we did an episode on inflation, um, you know, what the drivers are. And, you know, we're not going to go into as much in depth as, as we did in that episode. But, you know, some of the things we talked about from that episode were increasing the money supplier, the money that's in the economy is one of the main drivers of increasing inflation. Well, we just added $750 billion into the economy by having this bill be passed. Um, and it's also going to provide something like half a million jobs, which is great. That That's not a, a bad thing. More jobs are, you know, is great on the surface. However, to fight inflation, one of the key things the Fed looks at is wage inflation. And we're at or near historic lows on unemployment rates. And if you add another 500,000 jobs to that, that means that there's even more jobs per every individual looking. And again, on an individual level, that is a great thing. You are in demand and there are multiple companies fighting over you. That's fantastic when we look at this individually. Looking at this on a macro level and as the economy as a whole, that's not necessarily a good thing, especially when inflation is high. Because as two, three, four, five jobs have to compete for you, they have to raise their wages, which then means they have to raise the cost of their goods to be able to pay you to work there. And that builds the cycle of inflation. And so, you know, I, I'm not a top economist, so I'm going off of what the experts are saying. And they think that over 10 years, it likely isn't going to have any help on inflation, but based on the shorter term trends, I am a little concerned that this is actually going to hurt us uh, from an inflationary standpoint and actually add more fuel to the fire that the Federal Reserve is trying to put out. So who are they trying to sell that this is an, an, an inflation reduction act? I, they don't have to sell it to anybody except for the folks that are voting for it. So, I mean, I just well, don't no, get I, how... I think people when are, I made the, for the lack of better word, dumb enough to believe that if they just spend a, a few minutes reading about what it actually is doing. Well, right, but that I think that's that's the thing is we have an election coming up, and if we can, and I don't even want to say we because I'm not a part of this. If if there is an election coming up, and if you know, the, the Democrats are the ones that pass it. So unfortunately, I'm going to pick on them right now. If the Democrats can make this seem like it's going to reduce inflation, and if there are enough people that don't do research into it, they may just be like, okay, cool, you get my vote. You helped out with inflation, plus there's, you know, money coming to these things. And it, you know, you if you only look at it from it, what it looks like on the surface and don't dig into it, it's going to sound great. I mean, what you had stated from the beginning came off whitehouse.gov because uh, I saw that as well. And they make it sound like it is literally the greatest bill that has been passed in humanity. And it just, that's not the case, but that's what they're selling. Like we have to remember they're elected officials. They're selling themselves. So they are selling this to us. They're not going to, you know, try to tell you all the, nitty gritties of it or the things that maybe don't look so good. That's what our job is. We'll be doing that later <laughs> as, as we kind of roll this out. Um, you know, and I guess my thing, and again, it's, it's both sides. It's 
because when I did research, we didn't have the podcast going at the time, but when I was doing research into the um, the Tax and Job Cuts Act of 2018, um, you know, it was the same thing. It was just the Republicans at the time doing the same thing. And it was, all of this is great. They had their, their funny accounting that they were doing to claim that it was going to do certain things that it just isn't. Um, and it's, it's to get votes. And the part that I guess I find offensive on behalf of the rest of us in society is, do you guys really think we're this dumb? Like, do you really think, and I'm offended, especially with this one, like to have a title called this and then to have it not address inflation really whatsoever and claim maybe in five, six years, we're going to have something like, I don't know. Like I, I take that personally for us as society that they must think we're pretty dumb to believe this. And I hope they're wrong, but I don't know. They're the ones that are elected officials and they've been doing this for a long time. So maybe there is some validity in it, I guess. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Um, do you yeah. want to go into actual spending and, and what it provides? Yeah. And, and, and break that down? Yeah. So again, it, it covers tons and tons and tons of things. Like we're going to just hit the, the big pieces of this. Um, so the first one uh, with healthcare is that Medicare, Medicaid, and the VA will now be able to negotiate drug prices. I don't think this starts until 2025, I think. I saw something as 2026 on CNN, but 2025 I've seen right. elsewhere in Forbes too, so I don't know which one it is. But Regardless, a, um, yeah. this, this, is, this is a good thing. Um, it is a good thing, but it, I think what, of all the factors of, of looking at the the bill from a 30,000 foot view. Mm-hmm. This is probably one of the more important ones that could have an impact on inflation, but it doesn't start for three years. Right. So, yeah. Yep. It's one. Well, and, and, and so, again, that's some of the things that aren't as beneficial that get swept under the rug. You know, it, it's, we're not told the whole story. And again, they can't break down a, 750 page bill or 733 or whatever it was page bill and you know be able to tell you all of the intricacies in a five minutes you know that that's just impossible it's going to take us you know an hour or 45 minutes to go through a few provisions tonight um but you know this this is one of the things you're exactly right adam like this is it's a very it's a good thing but there are some some areas of bad potentially on it. So first off, I don't know why I haven't found a reason why, and and I'll keep trying to do research on this, but I don't know why the government wasn't able to negotiate drug prices in the first place. Like who's the moron that agreed to do that? That doesn't make any sense, but that was the rule. So now the fact that they can negotiate and, and the other aspect is that this is only certain drug prices too. Like, I don't think this is for everything. I think there's a limited scope of X number. I know insulin's one of them because that's obviously huge, huge. Um, uh, it's utilized a lot in, in the country, and so I think it was anything that there wasn't a cheaper alternative to. Okay, I thought that I read so insulin would definitely fit that. Well, it, if there's yeah, and insulin or, they capped it, and again, that's getting into very much into the minutia of this. But yeah. overall, Medicare, Medicaid, and the VA will be able to negotiate drug prices. This is going to be good for anyone that's on Medicare, Medicaid, or that's part of the VA. It's going to help lower cost of drugs. It's expected to save the government about $200 billion over the next 10 years, so $20 billion a year. Um, and then they're going to put a cap, but I don't, again, I don't think this starts until 2025 uh, for Medicare, where you can only pay $2,000 out of pocket, annually out of pocket, for prescription drugs if you're on Medicare. So again, good thing for those people that are in one of those three programs. Now, here's some of the bad. They didn't extend this to the private sector. So I'm going to make up hypotheticals. If take your pharmaceutical company, wants to make a billion dollars and 
previously the government was paying for half of that and the private sector was paying for half of that and now the government is going to pay for 25% of it because they get to negotiate and have the strong hand of the government well that other 25% gets shifted to us so I wouldn't be shocked if private sector premiums actually go up because of this because the companies want to make their money regardless Uh, especially on some of these you know really really big breakthrough drugs they have spent hundreds of millions of dollars researching and developing it they have to get that back out and i'm not for price gouging by any means but i'm also not for or i i am for our companies in america making money because otherwise they'll stop doing research and development then we have to wait for some other country to figure it out um and i like that we do it first so that is you know, a potential bad on this and is the private sector could see their premiums go up. Um, any thoughts, questions on kind of that section, Adam, that you wanted to add? Nope. That's pretty okay. self-explanatory. I think, yeah, in a vacuum, all that stuff is good. Um, I think most people and some of the research and, and the podcast I listened to about that reviewed this was they stated some polls poll um figures of x percent of americans want lower drug costs mm-hmm. um there's a couple other ones that i was like yeah in a vacuum if you're going to ask it, the average american do, do you want drug costs to be lower well of course yeah, everyone does everybody's gonna say yes but right. when you put it in the scope of we're going to, oh, who's going to pay for it? How, how, how right. are we going to make it? Right. We never asked that question. And that is a huge effect of your, of your answer. So it was just completely right. ignored. So it's just like that. I think, I think it was based off of, it was actually, um, whomever it was, the Senator that was, um, kind of doing the, the recap of the bill and they're, um, uh, selling it or, or talking about it, um, on, um, the house or the senate floor and there he cited these num- numbers i'm like well yeah i it's kind of an easy easy way to say that we all 80 some percent want it so this is bill has to pass it's like well in a vacuum sure but right. how are we going to get it how are we going to exactly. pay for it what and are the the side effects of you putting this in exactly and that's the thing on the surface very good for medicare medicaid and the va We'll have to wait and see if there's negative ramifications for people in the private sector um, or who have private insurance or the uninsured, um, you know, who are not part of uh, Medicare, Medicaid, or the VA. Uh, the other big uh, provision that deals with health care is um, the Affordable Care Act has a subsidy uh, that for certain people um, who make too much money that they're not on Medicaid, um, but still need help with their insurance premiums. Um, they get federal funding from the government that helps pay for some or, or all. I, I'm not sure how exactly how that works at the thresholds, but um, they they get some help from the, the federal government to help pay those or have lower uh, premiums. And the uh, this bill extends that because that was that was going to um, go away at the end of, of 2022 here and they extended it for three more years so it's going to extend to 2025 and this is going to cost it's estimated at 98 billion to extend that um, and I saw other figures of roughly 25 billion a year which that math doesn't work out exactly but um, it's estimated to help about 10, somewhere between 10 and 13 million people in the country. So again, if you're in that small group of people, um, this is great for you that that got extended. Um, for everyone else, it's not going to not gonna affect you. Uh, but this is one of those whose line is it anyway moments, right? So this is a part of the bill that's going to actually cost money. It's a negative when doing the calculations on the government side. And they only extended it for three years with the full likelihood that this is actually going to get it. Because it's been going on since the ACA was passed in 2011 or 2012, whenever that passed. And the likelihood is is it's going to keep getting extended. But in the bill, when they were doing the calculations, they only 
have the the expense for three years when everything else is over 10 years. All the income that they're saying they're going to get is over 10. So if you extrapolate this out over 10 years of expenses, it's actually $250 billion. And that brings the net positive uh, amount that they say is going to reduce the deficit. That brings that a lot lower. I mean, you're adding another 150, 175 billion dollars to the expense side because this is likely to be extended, but they're only counting it for three years. And that's one thing that I think is should absolutely not be allowed. If you have a 10-year plan and that's what you're designing this off of, you can't cherry pick only a few things to, you know that are negative towards you to count for part of it. Now they need to count for the full 10 as well because you're counting the things that are pros to you for the for the full 10. And again, not just Democrats that did it, they just did it this time. Republicans did it under the Job and Tax Cut Acts too. So it's just something that both sides I think need to um, clean up because it gives us as you know the constituents a better idea of what this is actually gonna cost uh, if they would compare apples to apples. So that's kind of it with um, healthcare. The second and, and actually the, the biggest part of this is the climate portion. Um, there are numerous, numerous, way too many to go over. Uh, tax credits for uh, green energy uh, in, in various different areas and industries. And so there's, there's tax credits for, for solar roofing. They move that up to 30%. Um, tax credit on the cost of putting a, a solar system on your home, uh, electric vehicles, there's a tax credit, uh, there's tax credits for en- energy efficient home appliances, there's funding that's going to companies in the renewable uh, renewable energy space to help boost research and production. Um, the It really, I, I, I really like this part. Um, I'm all for renewable energies, um, you know, believe what you will uh, about global warming. It doesn't really matter to me. Uh, you know, my thoughts are at the end of the day, whether the people that believe in global warming are, are right or wrong, if we have renewable energies and everything is powered by sun, wind, water, you know, whatever, all we have at worst case scenario, all we have is cleaner air and cleaner water for us to live on. Like that's worst case scenario, best case scenario. If global warming, it, you know, if you believe in that and that's a thing, um, then, you know, we're helping try to save the planet. So wherever you fall on the spectrum, to me, renewable energies shouldn't be a, a negative by any means. It's, it's providing a better life on a minimum for all of us, um, with the air, you know, air quality and water quality that, that we're all going to have. So, I really like this provision. I think it's great. Tons of things. Talk with your accountant about it. See if you would qualify for any of these things. Um, it's estimated to get us uh, to about 40% reduction in greenhouse gases by by 2030. Again, pure estimation. Um, I think that's probably pretty aggressive, um, but that's, that's what the claim is. Did they say net zero by 2050? Well, that's I. That's the goal. Um, I think I don't know if that's through NATO or the. I don't know. It's through something. Uh, the Paris Climate Accord, maybe. Um, but yeah, I know that there is obviously a desire for at least developed countries are banding together and trying to you know significantly reduce their their greenhouse gases. Um, but you know we all. It's kind of one of those y'all need to do your part and you know just because India isn't doing it or you know whatever country pick your country that's not doing it yet um you know China's a bad polluter we're still a bad polluter um you know so everyone in the world if if we want to have the entire world running off of renewables um you know everyone in the world has to has to kind of help out and and so Someone has to be the first to start that, and I really think that's you know the European countries are doing are way ahead of us on that. Um, so, so you're gonna get a solar panel on your house? Is thirty yeah. percent enough for you? Yeah. Oh well, we we were in the process of getting it before this um, came on. You have but more yeah, sun than we do. 
Oh yeah. I mean, we're going to have, we're, we're going to have a system that generates enough that I'll never need to take, uh, any power out of the grid. Um, and there's, yeah, plenty of sun it's here. And so, yep, yeah, this just kind of sweetened the deal a little bit cause it was currently at 28, I think 28%, uh, or maybe 26. So it bumped it up a few percent, um, and then extended that, uh, you know, so it's not something where people need to rush. It's not just for this year. Um, there's, I think that's for 10 years. They extended that for 10 years on that. Um, you know, so again, I think those things are all good. Um, certain, oh, oh, and another one there that I think is really good. They're trying to bring a lot of production back to the United States. So there's certain provisions in regards to the tax credits on electric vehicles that, uh, you know, require a final assembly to be in North America which is going to you know, exclude China and Russia and you know, some of the countries that we're in conflict with. Um, and, and then particularly the batteries as well. They're wanting the batteries to get made in the United States. And I think that's great. Like anything that you can try to bring manufacturing back to the United States rather than us relying upon other countries. You know, I think we saw that during the coronavirus. We rely a lot on other countries and, and it's something astronomical where we get like 75% or maybe it's even more of our antibiotics from China. Well, if they get mad at us and just say, we're not giving you these anymore, we w- we'd be screwed. And so, you know, the ability for us to think ahead and start bringing some of these things back. And I know that, you know, this is just batteries and just cars. We wouldn't be, you know, um, in terrible trouble if, if battery, you know, batteries for electric cars went away, it would hurt the, the companies themselves, but we'd be fine as an economy. Um, but I think that that's really great that we're trying to bring some of this back, you know, to the United States and, and, you know, create jobs and, and wealth here rather than having it be elsewhere. But with good, there's always some, some bad or potential bad again, depending upon whether this fits for you or not. Um, there is a cap on, electric vehicles. So uh, if you're looking at particular ones, it's $80,000, which is a lot of money. But as we all have seen over the past few years with inflation, cars are getting more and more expensive. So to get that tax credit, uh, the electric vehicle has to be under 80,000. If it's over 80,000, you don't get it. And then also if you make too much money, um, you know, there's different thresholds, whether individual or joint, whether the car is new or used. Uh, But if if you have too much income based on what Congress decided, uh, you don't get the tax credit either, regardless of how expensive the electric vehicle was. So, um, pen pond where you are, that could be uh, bad for you. And then there's this one. And this one is the, the dirty that they don't want to tell you kind of some of the things we, you know, been talking about getting swept under the rug. So in this energy side, and this one is really confusing to me, but where it's this great green, uh, you know, renewable energy bill. Yet there is a provision that locks fossil fuels and renewables together. And what that means is, and what it, what it, it how basically how it works is, if any administration, so right now, you know. Biden administration or any future president administration wants to give a license for solar or wind on public lands, it must offer a new oil and gas lease first. And these are not small. Um, you know, to dig into that a little bit deeper, it says the bill prohibits leasing of federal lands and waters for renewable energy unless the government has offered at least 2 million acres of public land and 60 million acres in federal waters for oil and gas leasing during the previous year. So if they want to help with renewable energy, they have to give huge swatch of land for oil and gas. And then do it first. Oil and gas gets it first. Then you can go and have renewables. So that, to me, seems to detract from the renewable side. Wouldn't you think, Adam? 
yeah, it seems like he got a good good chunk of money to do that to uh <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, who knows? And that's that part was again reading between the the leaves of what I've seen is it was to get Mansion from uh, Mansion, yeah, from West Virginia, the center from West Virginia, right? Um, to get him on board and and vote yes for this. But you know, I'm and again, I'm not anti oil and gas completely. We need to transition from some of that, but we can't do that overnight. Um, but this one, so is you that know, like the equal size of land? I'm just trying to. No, that's just, that's just the amount that they have to give before they can give any uh, licenses for uh, solar or wind. And so, again, just keeping it very simple, if they want to have solar and wind on public lands, they have to first give a oh, lease to okay. oil and, uh, and gas. And, you know, the, the part about this is like, okay, so how is this going to play out from the government? Like you're claiming that this is the greatest renewable energy bill, but yet you're giving a bunch or potentially giving a bunch of leases out to oil and gas as well, but you're not talking about that. So I don't think that's probably very good on their part. You know, you should be telling us the whole story. Or the other way it could play out is, well, they're just not going to give any leases out for anyone on public lands, solar or wind, because then they... And then they also wouldn't give them out for oil and gas. But then now you're relying on the private sector to have to pull the weight of the government to do all of the renewable energies because you're not helping by, you know, doing some leases. And so I don't know how this one's going to play out, but a little interesting that that one wasn't leaked out there. Uh, or I don't want to say leaked out there, but it's funny that this, this provision isn't talked about when also discussing how amazing this is for, you know, renewable energies and it's about moving the country forward and net, you know, again, the net uh, 40% reduction in greenhouse gases by 2030. And as you mentioned, I'm trying to get to net zero by 2050. Well, then maybe the leases for oil and gas shouldn't have been in there like that. That seems to conflict. So anyways, use with it what you will. Uh, kind of moving on. The last big thing is IRS funding. Um, I have mixed feelings on this one. I'll just state that from the beginning. Uh, $80 billion in funding is going to the IRS. Uh, they estimate that it's going to generate $124 billion through more audits and more taxes received. Uh, what this money is going to be used, it's going to help with enforcement and audits. They're expecting to hire 87,000 new employees, which will, I believe, more than double I think they have about 50,000 employees currently. So one of my my favorite podcasts I listen to is a daily podcast about just, you know, tidbits and business and investing. And they always, when they, when they talk about acquisitions and, and money and buys, they always put it in terms of a company. So when they go such and such company acquired a smaller subsidy company, they'll always, uh, reference it in the size of a company. So $80 billion, that's almost two Twitters yeah. worth of funding. Yep. That's insane. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. What was the, because I sent you something recently about that that someone was yeah. talking on it. $44 um, billion about Elon Musk um, purchasing Twitter. But yeah. uh, the government yeah, just Twitters. got a- $80 billion of funding. And where are you guys at for? Yeah. So the argument you know, again, for that purpose, but yeah, it's it's going to significantly increase the number of people. Now, this is, some of this is needed. The IRS has continued to lose funding and is underfunded currently. Now, again, most of our listeners probably don't care because that would be great, less people, less issues. But I understand why they needed to get some funding to the IRS. That part, but to go 1.5 times or actually more than that, almost doubling the size of the IRS. Um, Well, more than doubling the size of the IRS by employees. That's, that's a lot. And there are people that are retiring and whatnot, but you know, we'll, we'll see how that all works out. But anyways, money's going to that hiring new people and enforcing uh, um, the tax provisions, operations and support taxpayer service, which would be more like call wait times and then modern modernizing their tech. And I just broke this down because, you know, it's funny to me when this came up, 
that a lot of, you know, even Janet Yellen was on there and, and, um, you know, they're saying that, that audits aren't going to go up. This isn't, uh, for, for middle and lower class and small businesses, audits aren't going to go up. This isn't about going after, you know, them, uh, any of those types of things. It's only to go after the big companies and, you know, it's for all these other purposes. Well, 45.7 billion of the 80 billion is going to hiring more people and more audits. So there's a huge chunk of money that's going to be used for enforcement. And when you think about that, they're not, you know, they're going to have 87,000 new employees. Do you think they're going to have that person walk in even after six months of training or however much? It doesn't matter. Do you think they're going to give that person Amazon's, <laughs> you know, tax returns and be like, here you go, go find out where they're, you know, cheating the system or try to find it? Like, no, that's gonna, those are very, very complex. Those are for your senior people that have been there for a really long time. So where are these people going to get their practice? On us, on middle class and low class or middle income and low income families and small businesses because they're easy tax returns. So that's where you get your practice. You got to learn to crawl before you can walk, before you can run. And they're talking about, no, we're, we're sprinting at Usain Bolt speed. We're only going after the big people. Like, no, you, you have to crawl first. These people have to go through this transition. And so, again, we'll see. They claim that no family, and again, this is right off White House.gov, that no family making less than 400000 will see their taxes go up a penny We'll see. Um, I I just don't I just don't know how that's going to be possible. You just you you can't have all these new agents only working on these huge businesses and and all the wealthy people because it's too complex. They have to learn to get there. They can't just you know impute all the knowledge into their brain. They're not computers. Like they have to learn the system and learn how it all goes. So we'll see. Um, so that one, like I said at the beginning, I'm kind of mixed on it because it's IRS needed funding. It definitely does. There's you know tons of people out there in all walks of life who cheat the system. Uh, I get questions on it all the time uh, from people who you know are not clients and oh, what about this? You know, what about anyone get Venmo? Anyone get paid for anything off Venmo that you didn't report to the IRS? Anyone make cash tips that you didn't report to the IRS? You know, it's not it's not just the wealthy wealthy that go hide their money in the Caymans. Like, there it, it's through all walks of life, and so we'll see um, who the IRS really targets. But we're not going to know that until you know two three years from now when there's more data on it. But. Those are kind of the big four uh, main things that it's going to start providing. Uh, any thoughts or anything you want to add in on that, Adam? Well, the main driver for paying for all this is going to be the the, the tax provisions on on paying their fair share. Um, and the interesting Bingo. thing that um, I read was the, and this is getting in kind of the minutia of accounting and taxes, and I hate taxes, but... Uh, Companies are given a shareholder, or they so going back to the Amazon. Amazon reports a, a financial uh, profit to their shareholders, but they also, but they submit a, a an accounting. Um, I forget the acronym, but they, they it allows them to to submit two different figures: one to their shareholders and one to. Um, the IRS, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, it's under my understanding that with this new um, bill, is they're they're taxed, um, they're bringing those numbers together, um, or ones being taxed at fifteen percent, ones being taxed at twenty one percent, and whichever one's bigger, they'll just take that one. So there's like an industry standard accounting. Um, figure that's being submitted, which Amazon is getting down to zero with all of their expenses and their their shell game and all that kind of stuff. But they're reporting to their shareholders uh, an 11 billion profit last year. So what this bill, under my understanding again, is bringing those together 
taxing one at 15, one at 21, whichever one's bigger, that's what they'll take. And that's how they're going to think that they're just, Amazon's going to be like, okay, sounds good. Um, <laughs> and just write a check. But <clears throat> what my biggest problem is, is these elected officials, and I don't blame them. They're not going to read the whole thing. But guess who no, is going to read these bills? The Amazons, the people that have the resources, the businesses that have the resources and the experts in the accounting um, and finance areas of their of their business are going to sit down and they're going to go, okay, and loopholes are legal. Let's exactly. not forget that. Right. They're not illegal. So they're going to find those legal loopholes to get creative and that's how they make their money. Right. And I, I'm with you. So first, what you're talking about is the, the 50% tax and we're going to get to to that. That's where they're going to start making some of their revenue. Um, they have oh, two taxes. Oh, I see that down. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're fine. I'm looking at your notes. Um, but uh, you're exactly right. I mean, we need to remember that like when the elected officials come on there and complain about, you know, the one that they've been complaining about recently was um, the pharmaceutical companies and how much money they've made over the last couple of years. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Did we forget the fact that they cured a pandemic? And they created, you know, vaccines that were 98% effective where other countries, the best they could do is 50 to 60, you know, let's, let's reward that. Like we're going to penalize you for doing something really great. And then what they're complaining about is that these companies are allowed to take depreciation and deductions and you know, all of these things that Congress wrote into the tax code and they're just right. mad that they're using the tax code better than the people who wrote it. And it's like, duh, you know, <laughs> we have Congress that's filled up with a bunch of people from a bunch of walks of life, very few of which are accountants and very few of which are lawyers and very few of which are business people. You have some of all of those, but then you have people from other walks of life. So we can't expect them to be experts in the area of accounting or in the area of law, but that's what they're doing. They're creating supreme law of the land. So I don't get why people get mad when then a very, very bright accountant or attorney or whatever finds a way around the rules because they're just smarter because they're not, you know, they're making $10 million a year rather than working in the government. Like you don't go into the government. Well, that's actually not quite true. They say you don't go into the government to make money, but that's not exactly true because our government officials are very, very wealthy. Um, and they don't, that's another don't podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that's another another episode on uh, their ability to insider trade. So they just want to see Nancy Pelosi's net worth. Right. And, okay. Exactly. So let's get back to this. And one of the things, so now we're moving into the part of how are they going to pay for this, right? Because there's provisions in here and they say it's actually going to reduce the deficit by approximately $300 billion over 10 years. Let's see how they get there. Um, now, one thing to remember is all those expenses that we went through, all those things it's providing, those are actual expenses. That money is going out. The IRS is getting $80 billion, you know. Certain things are costing, you know, whatever they were that we went over. That money, those checks are written. They're getting that. And when we look at whether this bill is going to be, um, you know, a net neutral or whether it's going to reduce the deficit like it is claimed to be, these estimated taxes are exactly that. They're estimated over the next 10 years. Well, if they're too burdensome, businesses are going to change and they'll find ways to outsmart the rules that were just created because they have teams of people that are just smarter and they will, you know, do things to move it around, which we're going to get into because I've already thought about some of these and I'm not a genius. So if I can figure it out, you can bet that other people who are way smarter than me can figure it out too. So the first one, let's start with the one Adam was talking about. They're putting in a minimum 15% corporate tax on any company that has a net or, or not a net, any company that has an income over a billion. They expect this to generate 222 billion over the next 10 years. Um, again, we'll see how it works. Adam explained it, what they're trying to do with the 15% and the and the 21% explained that very well. And you know, the pros of this is if it works, they will help 
you know, it's going to help increase revenue to help try to pay for some of the things from the, the previous section. But some of the cons with this are going to be companies can create shell companies. You know, you can have, um, let's take, you know, Amazon. We've been talking about Amazon, for example. They can have Amazon stores. They can have Amazon grocery. They can have Prime be its own thing. They can have music be its own thing. They can have AWS, which is the web services, be its own thing. They can have all of them be their own under one parent company, Amazon. And if they do this and structure it, they can shuffle income around. So again, Amazon makes makes way too much money that they won't be able to do this. But take your company that makes a billion dollars. Well, if they break it into two parts of the company, each making 500,000, this now doesn't apply to you anymore. What if you make $10 billion and you have 10 companies? You know, you can see how this can potentially you can outsmart this and funnel money into smaller ones and you get below your billion dollar threshold. So again, Amazon's, Apple's, the huge companies of the world, they're not going to be able to get around that, but there are going to be companies that are. So they're still not going to hit all the companies that they think they are. So that $222 billion that they're estimating is probably going to be a lot lower than that. Um, and then the other con is certain industries I had brought up, you know, the healthcare sector. And again, I don't feel bad for them. They make tons of money. I'm not here to, I'm not a here to be like, oh, poor them. And the CEOs don't make enough. That's not my, what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to state that I think we should promote business in it and we should promote research and development. And if you start taking some of those things away, because these companies now have to pay 15% more on taxes, that's 15% less going to research and development, 15% less going to people's wages, 15% less going to future expansion of another building. And that stymies the economy. And when the economy is working really well, everyone, everyone goes up, you know, or what's the claim A rising tide lifts all boats. And so, you know, we want the economy to be working really well. And so we'll see, how, you know, what effect that has on uh, business, you know, kind of development and, and future planning of what they do based on, you know, the increase in, in taxes that they're going to have. Uh, the other tax that they're adding in here is a 1% um, tax on stock buybacks. And so uh, I'll just ask you, Adam. Adam, are you familiar with what a, a company stock buyback is? I, so, I don't want to sound like an idiot, so I'm going to decline. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So um, what it is, is it will make it really simple. We'll keep Amazon, and these numbers are obviously not accurate. But if Amazon has 100 shares out there, and I own 10 of them, I'm a 10% owner in the company. Well, at the end of the year, Amazon made a profit and they have a bunch of cash just sitting there. And so they are going to buy some of the shares back. And what they do is they buy 10 shares back. So now I have 10 of 90. So my ownership in the company went up without me having to do anything. And now again, your ownership goes up very minutely because there's so many shares out there but it helps increase the value of the company because now Amazon valued at a trillion dollars or whatever it is divided by 90 shares is more earnings per share. And it's more value per share that I own versus when there was a hundred because I'm a little bit bigger owner in the company now. So my value goes up without me having to do anything. And the government does get their tax money off of this, but they have to wait until I sell it. And when I sell it, then I pay capital gains tax on it and they get their money. What this 1% tax is going to do is say, if a company does a stock buyback, now instead of um, you know, being able to give all of the value back to the shareholders, 1% of that's being held back and going to the company or going to the, the IRS. So again, it's not going to hurt the companies. You know, if Amazon decides to buy back uh, what's easy math? A uh, hundred million dollars worth of stock in a given year. Well, that means a million of it is going to be taxed. Amazon doesn't pay that tax. I mean, they write the check to the IRS, but that means then only 99 million 
is coming back to the owners, the the shareholders. And so it's actually as if the shareholders are the ones paying that. It's not the companies. So again, when we go back to where we started with what did this say off of whitehouse.gov, it, one of the parts was, and finally asked the largest corporations to pay their fair share, you know, some of this is actually any of us. And who are people that own stock? I mean, yeah, rich people own stock, but average people own stock and 401ks own stock and uh, pensions own stock. And we all have stock somewhere. Even if you have ETFs and mutual funds, it's built on stocks. So this is really a tax on the investor um, because it's just going to get passed through. And again, they're estimating that this will generate $74 billion in revenue, but companies can change. They can say, we're not going to buy any stock back and instead we're going to raise dividends. Or, you know, they may not, they can move around and, and not do these things. And so the estimated amount may be a lot less again. So who knows if this is actually paying for itself? We have no idea. It's just, these are what the estimates are on it. And yeah, the, the stock buyback one, I'm not a big fan of. Obviously, being in the industry I'm in, that means my clients are getting 1% less every time a company does that. And you know, you own a company for 10 years because we, we buy good companies and hold on to them for a long time. You do that for 10 years, now 10% of your return just went to the government because they gave you a stock buyback. Um, you know, and that's on top of the tax that you have to pay when you sell it anyways. And then that's on top of the tax you have to pay when you, uh, you know, reinvest it or go pay sales tax. And, you know, like there's just taxes like onions. There's just layers upon layers upon layers. And when you get to the middle, you're sick of it and it stinks. And they make you cry. <laughs> yeah. And they make you cry. So, oh, um, that was, with, that was exactly what I was going to say. Thanks. The onion. Oh, well, you're welcome. Uh, no, the answer. Oh, I was oh. going to say that exact same thing. Stock buyback. Well, perfect. Well done. <laughs> well done. You've been reading up. I am glad I declined. No, you're fine. You're fine. Well, and again, I was just asking what the, you know, the stock buyback itself is, not what the tax is gonna gonna do. I wouldn't do that one to you, but, um, you know. So again, we'll see. Hopefully, you know, those are all the big provisions that we wanted to go over, um, you know, on this episode. We'll see how it all shakes out. We aren't, we aren't going to know. And actually, one other factor that we haven't talked about that we have to bring into this is, again, all of these things, as I've stated, are estimated over 10 years, minus the, the one provision for the ACA. Congress can come in and change that. A new Congress can change that as soon as January. I mean, it like isn't likely going to happen, but that it could. Or four years from now, it could change. And so you know, they've already done that with the ACA. Or, or not, sorry, not the ACA, the, the Job and Tax Cut um, Act of 2018. The tax cuts that went in, we've already changed rules from 2018. And that was supposed to be based on a 10-year plan of it doing X, Y, and Z and putting, you know, getting the economy running and it was going to pay for itself, allegedly. Well, we've already we're not at 2028 yet, and we've already changed the rules. So that one clearly isn't going to make the money it was supposed to, because we've changed the rules. And now we're going to have this one and claim that it's going to lower the deficit by 300 billion. We've already gone through the expenses part, or I shouldn't say the expenses, it's expenses to us, but the the revenue side to the government that's going to help pay for it. And that's variable. So I don't know, maybe they get more, highly unlikely, but uh, you know, they very well could get less from that. And then a future Congress, there's risk of that. A future Congress could come in and change this. And then all of a sudden the Everything's out the window and this, the expenses are out the door. They've already paid for it and we could just change the rules and then this absolutely doesn't get paid. And that I think is the biggest problem we have with Congress is we keep changing the rules all the time and that's how we keep getting into bigger and bigger and bigger holes and have this huge deficit that we have because we write the checks to pay for something and and then this is how we're going to reimburse ourselves and then we're just like, ah, heck with that one. Let's move on to the next thing to try to generate some votes. And we're going to spend some more money in a different area. And then that's going to work over the next 10 years. But we never let it fully work out. 
and actually get that money back. It just, it just doesn't make sense to me. But like Drew Carey said, right? Uh, let me find his thing. Everything is made up and the points don't matter. So it's with all that being money. said, it's so easy yeah. to spend this when you're just literally throwing it up on an Excel spreadsheet or Word document or wherever the hell they're doing. It is. When, and when you look at it too, I mean, let's hope. Let's hope for the billion. best. Yeah. Well, not even that. Let's hope for the best and say that this bill over 10 years lowers the deficit by 300 billion. So that's 30 billion a year. Okay, last year, I have this in the notes someplace. Bear with me one second, estimated. listeners. Um, it's right on runner estimated savings. Yes, 1.07%. Yeah, yeah. So we are expected to save 30 billion per year with this bill. The budget last year was 2.8 trillion. So even on the best case scenario, they're helping save 1.07%. Like whoop de doo. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> let's if we're gonna make some claims, like let's let's move the needle a little bit here before we start calling this, you know, the best that that has ever been, or you know, whatever, all the claims that are out there and being made. And again, I'm not here to state that it's bad. I think there's good and bad about it. Hopefully we've provided enough information, you know, to you as the listener um, that you can make your own decision. Uh, and it's perfectly fine if you come to a different conclusion uh, than someone else. You know, that's the beauty of America. So um, anything else you want to add, Adam? I need to quit talking because that, that was a lot and that was really in depth. No, I'm good. My brain's about to go into goo. <laughs> well, there, there's a lot in the bill and, and I just, I wanted to try to get as much information as I could, you know, to the listeners so that, that you all are, you know, more prepared to have conversations with people or, you know, just even think about it yourselves. I think uh, the last thing would be if you need a job, the IRS is probably going to be hiring soon. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They are, they <laughs> will be hiring soon. All right. That's it for us in this episode. We hope this episode we hope you enjoyed this episode and you found it helpful. If you haven't yet, please like, subscribe, leave us a review. If you're listening on Spotify, give us a five-star rating. It helps our podcast and we appreciate it very much. Questions or suggestions, shoot us an email at podcast at financiallysharp.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next episode. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This podcast does not engage in rendering legal, tax, financial, or other professional services. Investment advisory services are offered through Harmony Wealth, a registered investment advisor authorized to do business in states where registered or otherwise exempt from registration. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please contact Harmony Wealth at 602-935-5155 or at HarmonyWealthAZ.com. Okay, maybe I'm just dumb.